Craving has a quality of compulsion, obsession, fixation. Can't even shift. It's just object of craving, need to get it, how to get it, fixate, obsess. And in the body, how does it feel? Sometimes it's a good reminder, physical reminder, just when you're feeling it or want to remind yourself what grasping and clinging feel like, just make a fist and clench as hard as you can, as long as you can, and just feel like, oh, that's tight, that's tense, is it pleasant, keep going, and eventually it's like, oh no, that is not pleasant, this doesn't feel good, and what does feel good? Oh, release, relax, let go. Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. Welcome. Let's sit for a little bit. Just arrive. Settle. Connect to this moment. Chance to let go. You have permission to let go. Don't know how often you get told that. You have permission to set things down, let go, just be and take a little little vacation, a little rest. Enjoy. Enjoy the breath. Enjoy the body. Enjoy this moment. So simply arriving, that's it, arriving to this moment, just sitting, just being, letting go. Setting down the past, forgetting about the future, permission to just be, to be here with this body, with this beautiful breath with this wonderful moment. Noticing if there's any holding, 
any tightness, any tension, any knots. And then bringing awareness to those spots, breathing, into those spots, untying the knots, softening the hardness, releasing the tension, Letting go. Continually coming back to this moment and letting go of everything extra. Letting the mind settle. Letting the mind cool down. Unwind. Keep coming back. To this body, to this breath, to this moment. Being okay with whatever is arising. Not grabbing on to what is pleasant. Not pushing away what is unpleasant and unwanted. Just being open, receptive, finding the okayness. Simply observers without preference.
gently coming back, gently letting go, making peace, being kind, being gentle to whatever is arising now. Whatever is arising now. Really be, fully be with this moment. Fully open to this moment. Knowing this moment in the heart, in the body, Arriving, arriving to the here and now. Just take a moment and just note what's going on. What's the effects of just stopping, resting, being for five minutes? Just simply five minutes. Are you more peaceful, more calm, more restless, more agitated? Just noting the effects of this meditation. What I'm noticing is I prepared a lot of material and I have no idea how I'm going to get all through it. And that's okay. See what I can, uh, what comes out tonight. It's kind of always a surprise for me. Two months ago, I talked about committing to the practice, that we're committing to mindfulness, living a mindful life. Last month, I talked about how 
practice is really relating and working with the defilements of the mind. And so now, tonight, I'm just going to talk about one of these defilements. But before I jump in, just kind of recap a little bit what I talked about last month. I discussed what's called the three poisons. They poison the mind. These poisons or defilements are typically called greed, aggression, and delusion. Pretty much all defilements, all disturbances of the mind are some sort of manifestation of greed, aggression, and delusion. And why is it important to study, to know, to relate, and work with these defilements? It's how we know whatever we're practicing, greed, more aggression, more delusion, it's probably to be abandoned. It's not doing us any good. However, if it's cultivating non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion, or generosity, loving-kindness, compassion, wisdom, all these qualities that fall under these categories of non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion. If you're practicing and that's the results, keep it up. Keep it up. When the mind is filled with greed, aggression, or delusion. It's easy to see greed and aggression. Easier. Not always easy, but easier than delusion. Delusion's tricky. But these are visiting forces. They're just visitors. How we change our perception, how we relate with these challenges, with these difficulties, seeing them as visitors, being host to them, welcoming them, but not letting them rule over us and take over. We have our boundaries with them like any visitor. But we're not pushing them away, slamming the door in their face. We're being good hosts to whatever arises in the mind, these visiting forces. Tonight, we're going to take the first one. Greed also known as craving or wanting, desire, lust. Use all these words in Dharma talks. As you continue studying Dharma, listening to Dharma talks, you'll hear all these words interchangeably. Usually they're pointing to the same thing, but I kind of want to tease them out a little bit, tease them apart. Desire. Desire gets a bad rap in Buddhism. How many of you have heard others say, oh, Buddhism is about getting rid of all desire? How many of you have the belief yourself that Buddhism is about having no desire? How do you have no desire? How is that even possible? The second noble truth gets, oh, desire is the cause of suffering. That's not accurate. 
Desire is not bad. Desire is just desire. There's healthy desires. If you didn't have the desire to get up and go to the toilet, we'd have some problems, wouldn't we? If you didn't have a desire to eat food, to drink water, again, there'd be some serious problems. There are healthy desires. There's also very unhealthy desires. When thinking of desire, there's this fork in the road. There's healthy desire, unhealthy desire, skillful desire, unskillful desire, wise desire, unwise desire. This is kind of what we're looking at. When the mind, when you're like, oh, we can see desire, feel desire, no desire is arising. What's the quality? What kind of desire is it? Where are we in that fork? What way are we leaning? And so that leads me to the healthy desire is aspiration. We are aspiring to something. Unhealthy desire, that's the craving. That's the clinging. Clinging, craving, wanting. Maybe wanting is more related with actual desire. There's healthy wants, unhealthy wants. But craving. It'd be interesting if anyone wants to debate the point that there's healthy craving. I don't think there is. Then there's greed. I was trying to think about this. Here I'm talking about the three poisons. Greed, aggression, delusion. So greed. In this context, it's greed. When we talk about the four noble truths, first noble truth, discontent, suffering, dissatisfaction is a part of life. It exists. And the cause, second noble truth, is craving. So these are different, different words, actually, in the Pali language. So they're not the same. But yet, what's the difference? I don't know if anyone has the answer to that right now. What's the difference between greed and craving? Is one a manifestation of the other? Is the object of want different with greed versus craving? So these are the kind of questions we ask in the practice. If we really want to get nuanced, if the mind is really settled and still in meditation and some wanting, some desire, unhealthy, is this craving or is this greed? Not get stuck, not analyze it to death, but just notice the nuances of the mind. Or you can just simply like, nope, it's just wanting. It's all wanting. The practice is working with this mind, especially as it relates to greed or craving, aggression, delusion. Come back to desire. This is, often happens. 
healthy desires. Desires are part of human life. We have them all the time. It's a constant stream. Keeps us alive, keeps us going, keeps us motivated. A lot of positive aspects to, to healthy desire. So hunger, for example, I mentioned it. If we don't get hungry, we don't have food. But here's where it changes from healthy to unhealthy and how quickly it can. All right, I eat, I have a meal, but oh, that was delicious. Man, I want more. Or ooh, I need, I need dessert now and more dessert. Need more, more, more. Somehow, craving creeps into healthy desire and it becomes gluttony. Sleep is another one. I know I struggled with this for a long time. Oh, sleep is so pleasant. Who wants it's cold like this? Who wants to get out of that warm bed? So cold. It's day. Oh, the work. Dreading what I got to do for work. That doesn't sound like fun. Just want to stay here and sleep. So in this practice, as we're working with the mind, noticing how do we remove the clinging from desire? Open question. I don't have the answers. <laughs> Far from do I have the answers. But really looking at the mind's tendencies to just hijack our desires and our aspirations and how quickly aspirations can become tainted, defiled, and the effect that has. Coming to this fork of desire and committing ourselves to studying craving and aspiration. Heard someone call it the desire highway. We're driving on the desire highway because it's always going. We're always driving. And how exhausting it gets to constantly be desiring and wanting and moving and just like driving long, long road trips, feels good to get out of the car, take a rest, stop at the rest stop. And that's also giving the mind permission, giving yourself permission, take a rest, stop at a rest stop, sit, breathe, be, stop the wanting, even the healthy wanting and the desires. Oh, I'm hungry. Eh, that can wait. I don't need it right now. I need to sleep. Yeah, I'm tired, but you know what? I'm just going to just sit just for five, 10 minutes before, before I fulfill that desire, fulfill that need. So practicing taking, stopping at the rest stops. So all this practice that we talk about, a lot of what the Buddha taught is presented and built how to put an end to craving. It's the second noble truth. Third noble truth, cessation. Cessation of craving leads to happiness, leads to the end of suffering. How important is craving in this practice? Understanding craving and the mind's tendency to crave and patterns of craving and what it craves, how it craves the flavors and the feelings and the textures of craving and the nuances of craving. Who's excited to study craving? 
Who wants a PhD in craving? The importance of shifting our perceptions. Doesn't sound pleasant. And just like in meditation, pleasant arising, unpleasant arising, these feeling tones. We're okay with whatever's arising, with both pleasant and unpleasant. Working with craving might be unpleasant. That's okay. Working with craving can be very pleasant because the things we crave tend to be very satisfying, very pleasurable, which makes it challenging in itself to not get entangled in the pleasure. A lot of craving is connected with feeling tone, this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Wanting what's pleasant, not wanting what's unpleasant. Wanting, craving. Bring to mind a moment of intense craving that you have had in your past. It could be subtle, but think of more on the extreme side to the version of obsession or an addiction. Something you just couldn't let go of. Something that just hijacked the mind. How would you describe that craving? What did it feel like, besides pleasant, unpleasant? What were the nuances of that craving? About a year ago, I went vegetarian, and I started having a craving for meat. <clears throat> and it kind of, like I had lost something that I wouldn't be able to savor anymore. And then I started kind of... Um, feeling like I could start to taste like that umami flavor in my mouth that meat has. And like, then there was kind of like a lacking. So anytime I ate like a meat replacement, it just didn't taste the same. Nice. Thank you. Anyone else have a craving feels like or how you would describe craving? I would call craving an immediate, acute sensation of greed. Greed is more general. It's a background sensation, almost a background noise, hmm. where craving is got a, that's, that's eating with a purpose, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> that helps. For me, uh, like a relentless just a habit that's relentless, that's just also so, like, irritating. It's like, there you are again. And, like, tethered to it. So just, like, re relentless. Yeah. Thank you. I guess for me, like, like describing former ravings um, with past issues, it'd be like driving down the highway with my eyes closed and the anxiety that goes with that and that anxiety won't be relieved until that craving gets met, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and actually that kind of made me think too, it, 
it also to me always kind of feels almost almost external because there are times where you know I especially if it's an unhealthy craving I know that it's not something that I really want to pursue but it feels like it's kind of still coming into my mind and demanding my inte- my attention even though I'm not I don't feel like I'm willing it to yeah yeah anxiety i need it and then you get it and then what happens ah relief and then it's like oh i need it again i need more it wasn't enough when i met my craving it was followed by guilt Mm. all these layers all these layers just studying craving and then Sometimes the craving's at the base underneath and everything's on top of it. Sometimes the craving's on the surface. And just what's going on under it. So thank you. Thank you all for sharing. What I have written here is craving has a quality of compulsion, obsession, fixation. At least with me, the mind, it's all it will think about. Nothing else matters. Can't even even shift. It's just... Blinders, the object of craving, need to get it, how to get it, fixate, obsess. And in the body, how does it feel? Like there's, it's clawing at you and just grasping and tightening. I mean, we call it clinging and grasping for a reason. Because when we cling and grasp, this is what it is. Sometimes it's a good reminder, physical reminder, just when you're feeling it or want to remind yourself what grasping and clinging feel like, just make a fist and clench as hard as you can, as long as you can, and just feel like, oh, that's tight, that's tense, is it pleasant, keep going, and eventually it's like, oh, no, that is not pleasant, this doesn't feel good, and what does feel good? Oh, release, relax, let go. There is freedom in letting go. Just noticing that when the mind is hijacked with that craving and that wanting and that that clawing, needing, supposedly needing, chasing, just let go. Quote by Ajahn Suchito, this clinging, craving is not a chosen kind of desire, it's a reflex. It's the desire to pull something in and feed on it. The desire that's never satisfied. Craving can blind us into believing that we don't even have a choice. The choice is already made for us by the seduction of that craving. That the craving actually becomes the centerpiece of our lives. Without it, How do we survive? More fear. Fear under that. What do we cling to? What do we crave? Again, probably healthy desires initially. Think of security, safety, stability. I desire financial stability, financial security. How wonderful it would be not to have to to not worry and want. Financially, but that's not the case. That's a healthy desire, right? But 
how quickly it can get tainted by greed, really. Oh, need more money. Never enough. It's not enough. Right? Even wealthy people. I have a story of a friend. We go on a um, toy drive every year at, around Thanksgiving. And he told me this, that at his work, very lots of wealthy people at his work, and he, he goes around to gather donations and it's the people in the bottom, like the interns, that are giving the most. And the people at the way top, eh, here's $5. There is this tendency that once greed is in the mind, it is a powerful force. I don't know how many of you know, I used to work at a casino about 15, 20 years ago before I came to this practice. And I actually came to this path and this practice while working at a casino. So I called it my monastery there in the beginning, how much I could learn about greed, aggression, and delusion. It's, I called it a greed factory. It ran on greed, and man, did it produce greed. story comes to mind is it still doesn't sit with me to this day and I don't know how long ago this was well over well over a decade ago but I dealt blackjack that's the first thing I dealt and then you get good enough and proficient enough they let you go into high limit blackjack so minimum bet $50 $50 per hand can't imagine it's, it's a lot of money I'm on the floor, the main floor, dealing probably like $5 or $10 blackjack a hand, much more reasonable if you're going to gamble. And they tap me out saying, go to, go to high limit, because I could deal, really, so that's kind of important to some, some players. And the reason they wanted me to go is, okay, deal as fast as you can and destroy him. That is what the pit boss told me, because he was up, I don't know how many thousands of dollars, say, we'll just say $10,000, $20,000. He was drunk, so intoxicated. So there's the hypocrisy of it, too, that they had the red light, yellow light, green light system. Green light, you're fine. Yellow light, oh, you're getting tipsy. You're on the verge. Red light, we have to kick you out. We're liable. We can't have you. We got to send you home. This guy was, what's beyond a red light? Broken light? I don't know. Casino wanted their money. And what do you know? I dealt. He stayed because he wanted more. The 20,000, 30, however many thousands he was up wasn't enough. Greed plus intoxication. That's a great mix. And Casino wanted it back. So he stayed and he gave it all back very fast. And then they're like, sir, we need you to leave. We feel you're too intoxicated. This and this. So there is a good story about greed and wanting. I have another one that uh, I can tell. One of the most powerful memories I have. So I worked craps, dealt craps. That was a high honor in a casino is dealing craps. You're, you're kind of the bee's knees if you're a craps dealer and a good craps dealer. It takes a long time to get good at craps. So this is when I was more proficient, but this young woman comes down 
And if you really want to play craps, minimum buy-in's probably about $500, $1,000 if you're really going to play craps. It's insane. It is, don't play craps. It is, it, don't gamble. That's my, that's my message for tonight. Anyways, this young woman lays down probably $1,000. And before I even change it into chips, she tells me I have to win. I can't lose this. This is my child support money. I can't lose it. Are you kidding me? You're taking food or whatever money that's supposed to go to your own children and their welfare, and you're going to give it to the... Broke my heart, and that was the one time I, I don't know. Like, I wish I would have said something. Like, no, I'm not going to cash this. Go home, and I'll take whatever trouble I'll get in from the pit boss and the casino for not taking our money. That's the power of greed. That's the power of delusion. Oh my goodness, to learn, to see that, to learn it at such an early stage of this path. You'd think I'd have my PhD by now. So these qualities of craving, qualities of clinging. A telltale sign we're wanting Unhealthily, we're craving, there's craving in the mind. How discursive is the thinking? Craving is usually entangled with discursive thinking. A lot of surface thinking. Getting lost in stories and ideas and desires. Think of sexual fantasies. How pleasant those are, how easily we can get lost in it. Are those with clinging and craving and wanting and attachment? any of you have ever sat retreat or long retreats, there's this phenomena called Vipassana romances. I was fortunate enough to experience this on my very first retreat. I was 20, late 20s, went to a young adults retreat with 100 people, like over 100 people there at Spirit Rock. And I fell in love. I found the, the one was certain of it. Don't know. It's, it's crazy. Never talked to her. Never knew her. Didn't even talk to her after. But somehow the mind, with craving, wanting, obsession, fixation, and then just as I'm sitting there meditating, oh, enjoying the stories and the fantasies and have my whole life planned out with this woman. How silly. How ridiculous. It was fun. But is that worth, worth why we go to meditation? That was, again, early in the practice when this mind was very busy, did not know how to settle and still. And, and what a good lesson. What a good story. It was, it's memorable how kind of just hooked, how hooked with, with wanting and craving it was around, around someone I had no idea. But you'll talk to teachers. You'll talk to other people who have sat a lot of retreats. And it's It's common. But now that you know what happens, you can like, okay, that's the thing. It's like, oh, I see this mind getting hooked. I see fantasy coming in, desire, wanting, craving. And you just watch, watch the process itself. That's kind of the trick. When we wake up, when we become aware of what's happening in the mind. So when we're caught, we're caught in this craving 
we're obsessed with the object of our desire, the object of our wanting. That's all we're focusing on. But then we can wake up and realize this is what we're doing and then shift and watch the process of desiring, the process of craving. We let go of the object and can focus on the actual process itself and learn what's under this process, what's fueling this process, what's keeping it going, what's it feel like in the body. We say that a lot when we're in the head and we're noticing, okay, what's, it, what's going on in the body? The body manifests what happens in the mind. How aware are we of that? Are we tensing up certain places? Another fun practice of wanting or not wanting in sitting and even now, how many times did you shift your posture? How many times were you aware of it? Think about it. Every time we change posture, it's usually out of some form of craving or aversion. It doesn't feel good. I want to feel better. I don't want to feel this pain. I need to move it so I can feel better. Oh, this is getting tired. I need to move it because it's tired. So there's some sort of wanting and not wanting. I'm not saying that's bad. We have to move. Again, healthy desires, unhealthy desires. But to catch that, catch that initial, that initial momentum to like, oh, okay, I just noticed want to move, want to move. And can you just be with the momentum and then intentionally move, not mindlessly move? And that's okay either way. It's just a practice. A lot of what we do is habitual. And when it's habitual, there's a lack of mindfulness around it. So really, those are the areas of our life where we're trying to cultivate awareness are around our dull, habitual, routine, mundane aspects of life that we just go on autopilot. But there's stuff going on in the mind. There's stuff going on in the body. And we be with it. Aspiration, on the other hand. One, the one part I'll talk about aspiration. So where cravings connected to thinking and and ruminating and fixating and obsessing. This aspiration is more embodied. It's not so much in the mind. And the aspiration that came to my mind when I was thinking like, what's a good aspiration, a good example of an aspiration? I mean, we can aspire to a lot of things, aspire to meditate, aspire to enlightenment, but there's this aspiration called the Bodhisattva vow. I aspire to be a benefit to all beings. That I am benefiting no longer just doing this practice for myself, no longer living life for myself, working on myself, but I'm doing this to benefit others. This, it becomes a shift. And I did this because of the profession I was going into, which is really ministry, chaplaincy, and really shifting into how can I use my own personal practice, this practice of meditation, all this work I've done on the inner self and the mind, and use it to benefit others. How can I share it with others or just be with others? And it's really not with talking. It's in this embodiment 
Call it the ministry of presence. That's it. Just sitting with someone, being with someone, allowing space, receiving what people say, having people feel heard. And just in that, how powerful that is, that that's for a benefit. When we dedicate the merit, that's kind of what we're saying sometimes. May this merit be for the benefit and awakening, the end of suffering of all living beings everywhere. That is a declaration of a, of a bodhisattva vow. But you can formally take a vow, like the taking refuge is a vow, taking refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha. Technically, that's how you officially become a Buddhist. But then there's that other vow, the bodhisattva vow. That's in a different lineage, that you can officially go through an ordination and a ceremony and take that vow. And then there's other vows you can take. You're aspiring to be a better version of, of what a human being is. That's an aspiration. And where in the body, when you feel that, where is that happening? What's it feel like? What's the quality of an aspiration? It's not filled with thoughts and thinking and rumination. It is, it's heart knowledge, that heart knowledge, present moment knowledge, knowledge of feeling beyond that concept. When you're investigating and studying craving and aspiration, notice, notice the difference between the two. So craving, there's a lot of planning. Again, a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. When we want something, how do we get it? Ooh, got to come up with a strategy, kind of come up with a plan. Okay, if I do this, then maybe I do this, and this person will do this, and get it. Oh, no, got to try again, didn't get it. Got to get it. Okay, how do I get it? I was a nicotine addict. When I was out of cigarettes, there's a lot of planning. How do I get a cigarette? How do I get my nicotine fix? Oh, that was fun. Ooh, if I ask this person, I can't ask that person. I bump so many cigarettes off of them, they're going to say no. Huh? Where do I go here? Maybe this person, they don't. Its mind is crazy. So when the mind is really obsessed with planning, maybe there is some craving and clinging and attachment happening. The Buddha said, for people who have agitated thoughts and intense passion and who are focused on what's pleasant, craving grows more and more. Indeed, they strengthen their bonds. But those who delight in calming their thoughts are always mindful and cultivate a focus on what's unpleasant will bring an end to craving. So if we focus on what's pleasant, we're focused on that object of our desire, how beautiful it is, how wonderful, how satisfying it is. Craving produces more craving. Ajahn Chah's story, one of my favorites. Driving in a car. So monks don't drive, by the way, so they have someone drive them. I believe it was four <laughs> monks, Ajahn Chah in the in the passenger seat, three monks in the back, and the young novice monk, who I'm envisioning is probably like 19, 20, very young, is in the middle. And Ajahn Chah says something in Thai, and I, don't, I think this wasn't a Thai-speaking monk, and the other monks had to translate, and Ajahn Chah says, 
you're thinking about your uh, your girlfriend or the the one your lover or something like that, right? He he could tell in his mind he's just he's sad and he's grief stricken that he's just his whoever the love of his life, this girlfriend, the person of his affection was on his mind. And he was focusing on the pleasant, probably, the pleasant aspects. Oh, I miss, miss being in her embrace. I miss how she smells. I miss, you know, whatever we miss, that pleasant when we're kind of in that enchantment of lust and desire. And so Ajahn Chah says something back, and everyone just starts cracking up, cracking up. And so this young monk's confused and it's like, what did he say? What did he say? It's like, well, this is what he said. He goes, he has a solution for you. Go, when you get back, go write a letter. And in your letter, tell her how you feel, that you miss her, and that you want something from her. And then when you send this letter, you send a little small empty vial. And what you ask her is you want her to put some of her poop in it. So every time you think about her, you can smell and you can think about her. Because if you love her, you love all of her. Can you love the unpleasant aspects of the objects of your desire? Do you crave that part of your lover? Hence, when we focus on the unpleasant, when our mind is just obsessed with and with those rose-colored glasses, shift the perspective. What are the unpleasant aspects? It's not all, all rainbows and unicorns and daisies, right? It's not always pleasant. There's, you got to see both sides. It's a little extreme example, but it's fun. And calming the thoughts. Anyone know what the trick is to calming the thoughts? Mindfulness of breathing. Keep coming back to the breath. Oh, you're aware, you're lost in thought, aware that the mind has wandered away, come back to the breath. Keep coming back to the breath. Something anchoring about this breath. That is the instruction of mindfulness of breathing. Why it's so fundamental is to work with this discursive mind. To work with the craving that is a result and cause of discursive thinking. You're saying if I'm having a craving, uh, like my roommate just made like homemade cookies, I'm on a diet and I can't quit thinking about those cookies. If I meditate and focus on my breath, that'll help the craving for the cookies subside. Is that what kind of sort of thing you're getting at? It's possible. You know. It can make it worse too. <laughs> oh, I don't want it to be worse. <laughs> That's like writing out the desire. That, that would be that technique. I'm just gonna sit and watch. Like if you really wanna learn what craving is, if you really hooked on that sugar addiction, like I can understand that. Like I really want this cookie and just write out the wave of the desire and really commit. I'm not gonna move, I'm not giving in. Just watch the law firm of the mind debating and telling you, no, it won't hurt. if you do this, it's actually a good deed. You're helping them out. And you're, you know, all these voices coming in and trying to persuade and just watch the craziness and understand that these are the patterns or this is how it is. 
and really learn. This is an opportunity to just study. If you give in, you give in, but try. In that situation, it's really, again, what is unpleasant? So there's the gratification in something, and there is a danger, and there's an escape. This is a traditional way of looking at things in the text. So the gratification is, oh, it would taste so, so wonderful, these cookies. And then I get my sweet tooth satisfied, and oh, I just, you know, get the release of whatever happens. And so I just love chocolate chip cookies, and he makes the best cookies. And I could just give him compliments, so it'd be generosity in that way, you know, all this stuff. But what's the, what's the harm? What's the danger in eating this cookie? Well, I'll end up eating a dozen of the cookies. There you go. It it won't just stop with one. Yeah. And you just look at the day. So long term. And I mean, you can really go down. Like for me, being diabetic, well, (laughs) that would mean high blood sugar would have come down. Maybe that would be more insulin. Like, is it worth it? And, And then the escape, which I don't know what the escape of the craving is. But maybe that's it is just, okay, focus on the unpleasantness or just writing out the desire or there's other ways, which I won't get time to, which I have, and maybe I'll come and revisit this later, like ways to work with, with craving. What do you feel would work best in a situation like that? What do you think would be most fruitful? That's what I'm asking you. Um, I don't know. Um, just riding that wave, probably, you know, and then... I think if you do it once, then it gets easier to do it the next time, you know, as much as it'd be hard not to give in. If you don't, the next time it'll be easier not to give in. It gets a little bit easier each time you ride it out. Yeah. Um, sort of thing. Exactly. Once you know you can do it, once you know you can survive, it won't kill you. And you can like, okay, I have gotten to the backside of the wave. I have watched it come and gone. You're right. The second time's a lot easier because you know what to expect. Yeah. I'll leave it open. Anyone have any final comments before we close? I think that's the end for tonight. <clears throat> I remember a uh, Pooh and um, what's his partner? There's Pooh and the, the little piglet and piglet. And he's talking about what's the best part about a cookie. And he goes, right before I eat it. You know, that that was the best part. He's got it. He knows he's going to eat it. And it hasn't quite, you know, happened yet. But I really like your, 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 the advice of the breathing. Because when I, the funny thing about breathing is it's the sweetest when I let all my breath out. Mm. It's not the breathing. It's not the breathing in. It's the letting it out to the very bottom. And then it's... Breathing's always going to happen, you know? That's the easy part. It's emptying it out, and then it's so sweet. It's so easy to be thankful and go, oh, damn, that was good, you know? The power of letting go. Yeah, the anticipation. I get that. I totally can resonate with that. Like, oh, I'm about to, you know, that's like the Christmas morning as a little kid. The best part is, oh, I know I'm saying, you know, all all the presents. And then you open the presents, kids are like, Billy socks. <laughs> Let's recap. 
It's possible to have your life motivated and orientated around aspiration instead of craving. The quality of life changes dramatically depending on which one you water. For this week, month, in the practice, really look at the nuances of craving versus aspiration. Notice how quickly a, a desire, healthy, wholesome desire, can just craving can just creep in. Notice that stream of wanting that's always happening. And again, when we're up here talking, teaching, reading quotes, giving you this information, it's up to you what you do with it. It may work, it may not. What we're doing is inviting you to study, study the book of your heart, the book of your mind, to really dive in that, get to know it. And hopefully these tools and what we say help guide you in doing that. Some of it will make a lot of sense. Like, yeah, I get it. This works. This works really well. Some of it's like, no, that doesn't work at all. And then you can, okay, now you know. I don't have all the answers. I just have ex my experiences and my trial and error. And hopefully what I share with you in those struggles and successes can motivate you in your own. Again, for the benefit of everyone. Benefit of all beings. By the merit of tonight, by the merit of our practice, May it bring about the causes and conditions for the awakening of all beings everywhere. Thank you, everyone, for choosing to spend your time coming to listen to me talk. Thank you for your commitment to your practice. It's not easy, but no, I appreciate it. You all appreciate it. You're putting good ripples out there, so keep at it. Keep it up. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. And tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.